And welcome to episode 56 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound Players with a Head for the Game. I am Freeloader, and with me as occasionally of late are Sabaiku and Thomas. Sabaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. And Thomas, how are you doing? Pretty all right. We are the Brood Sages, easily the second best Stormbound related podcast in production. And as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages on Twitter. Or for all of you who had gotten away with it too, if it wasn't for those pesky kids, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. Uh, guys, we have been promising for a, a while that we would talk about some of the new cards, uh, state of the games. We have been away a lot. I know a lot of our listeners have noticed. Spike, you had a cold. Thomas had a cold. Uh, we're finally all here together. Uh, so here's what I'm going to tell you about our community news. SWCC is awesome. It's really cool. You guys should do it. It's just fantastic. Have fun. Go get some free stuff. Uh, you should play Toad games. If you're not playing Toad games, you have to ask yourself why you're not playing Toad games because you should be playing Toad games. All right. Community news is out of the way. Here's what we're going to give you tonight. These, uh, This recording tonight is three guys who love Stormbound, love playing the game, sitting down and talking about it. That's it. There's no planned notes. There's no show notes. You can just throw it all out. If you dropped us an email and said something about whatever, we don't know it. All we're going to talk about tonight is just how we feel about the game, what we're enjoying, what we feel is strong, what we feel is good, what we feel is bad, what we feel needs to change. That's what we're giving you. Off the cuff, no plans, no no nothing. So I'm just going to open it up. Uh, we'll start with Thomas. You did fairly well last uh, season. Uh, and apparently you did it all in one night. What uh, what the heck happened? Walk us through that. Um, honestly, I don't remember. That was already like two th or three weeks ago. Life has been <laughs> kind of crazy. And so, yeah, I just, I think um, Gray hadn't been at, even out yet. And so I was pretty sure I was just using one of those crazy uh, Shadowfin decks with um, a crazy overpowered dragon in the deck. Um thank goodness she's been nerfed but yeah just did it all in one night and then after that i went on vacation and uh i somehow stuck near the top 20 ish so that means mm. clearly everyone else just needs to uh start actually getting into top 10 because there's people like me that once you get there you have other things going on in real life and you have the opportunity to get to top 10 i believe we refer to that as camping so you camped you you raced all the way up there uh, in one night, and then and then because of uh, actual life events, you camped the rest of it and managed to coast your way still into a top Tony finish with that. Yeah, and it should have been top ten if I wouldn't have um, gotten Gray uh, level all the way up to level five and uh, lost a few games to get knocked out of top ten. Um, but yeah, I legitimately didn't have service. You guys, you need to to work harder. Jeez. <laughs> okay, and uh, Sabaiku, you finished fairly high last uh, season as well. I did finish in the top 10, and actually my story is pretty similar. I got high early on um, playing mostly Ironclad Rush and lost a few games with it. So I switched to Shadowfen and then just kind of played Shadowfen the rest of the month. But I did not play a lot of games in the last week or week and a half of the season. I just got too busy with work and other things going on. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't really lose any ranking because of it. Um, I think I lost one rank just because the only people that were playing more were the people that were already ahead of me that were fighting for number one. Um, interestingly, yeah. so I didn't make the heroes league, I think until the last week, you know, I, I just, I don't play that much. And, uh, most of the play I do is in draft, um, it's just this home improvement project for the for, for, for the listeners out there who don't know. Um, we're, we've completely gutted our house. Uh, we're we're missing four rooms right now. Um, there's just plywood in the way, so you can't get to them anymore. So our our home is about two thirds of the size that it was when we, we first moved in. Uh, it's getting bigger, uh, but there's a lot of projects going on. I just finished our deck. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on. So I'm just I don't have the time to play Stormbound that I wish I did. Uh, because of uh, wanting to improve my library and because I just really enjoy the mode, I am prioritizing playing draft during Mondays through Wednesdays. And then by the end of the season, I'm trying to get my Heroes League reward just so that it's a really generous reward. I want it, right? Um, I will tell you that I made it in the last week and I dropped probably 
I never played a game once I made Heroes League. I just made Heroes League and said, okay, that's good enough. I probably dropped almost 100 ranks. I, I, I got in at like 607, and I think I was 700 or thereabout at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So that means a lot of new entrants came in after me into the Heroes League. Uh, and either they also didn't play or they continued to grind upward. Yeah, and look, uh, what Thomas and I were talking about, this is very clearly not a problem for most players in the game. No, but it's uh, but interesting. At the, but at the top of the Heroes League, it definitely does feel like people get up there and then either go 50-50 and can't climb any further or just um, just stop playing. And I, I don't know what the right answer is. It is hard to win games up there, but my instinct is to say that if you can get that high, you can probably keep climbing. So so uh, uh, one of the uh, card players who I most have idolized in my uh, career uh, is Brian Kibler. He is a Magic the Gathering Hall of Fame inductee. Um, he is one of the best just card players of any card game out there. And uh, when talking about Hearthstone, which is has been the main game he's been playing over the last decade or so, he has talked a lot about ladder fatigue and also ladder anxiety, um, and it impacts him. I mean, this is someone who's won millions of dollars, right, playing Magic the Gathering tournaments. How is he afraid of queuing up another game? But he says it happens to him, too. He hits a high mark. Um, he gets you know into the top 10 or top 5 by accident because he's usually memeing. And then he just doesn't, it, it, he feels the anxiety of queuing into the next game because what if he loses? Um, and, and, and so if it impacts someone as, as strong a player as him, I don't feel so bad about it impacting me. Uh, do you guys feel that? I absolutely do. Um, I, I don't know why, because half my month this last month was playing a, a Ironclad Aaron deck. That's literally all it was. <laughs> okay. Like it was super super fun and that is actually how i got into top 20 in the first place uh like ran all the way through all of diamond and into heroes league and the moment i got into heroes league it's like okay i actually have to start being competitive now and just like with what you were talking about i have no idea why like my brain just suddenly switched over to that it's something that i need to try harder to uh tell myself i am playing this game purely for enjoyment so who cares what the score ends up but there's just some innate um, competitiveness that tells me that I need to start suddenly tryharding. Yeah, you see those numbers next to your name, and you just you want them to go bigger mm-hmm. or or it's smaller. But yeah, I get your point. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. <laughs> I, I have no difficulty making the rank next to my name get get larger. <laughs> I could do that easy. I was talking about the crowns next. Oh, to your the name. crowns! Right, 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 right. Um. But I do think it's interesting. Uh, in, 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 it's been something that I have felt not only in this game, but in, um, in every game I've, I've played that has some sort of mm-hmm. ranking to it. Like even Call of Duty. Uh, back when I used to really jam a lot of Call of Duty, I felt um, like the higher up I got, the, the more scared I was of, of queuing into the next round because I'm just like, man, now I'm going to be playing against the real pros, right? Like it just, uh, it, it, it weighs on you in a way. Now, um, what's different about this game, though, is mm-hmm. the fatigue part of it, uh, you know, especially with queue times at the top being very long. That's right? fair. Like, the queue times are long. It takes me, you know, five, ten minutes to find a match. It makes me want to stop looking for matches, which then makes the queue times long for anyone else who happens to be trying to uh, start up a game. It's uh, uh, definitely a downward spiral there. Right. And then if you do lose a game, you're just like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, 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 now I have to win two games to make up for the one I just lost and still get ahead. Right. The next win I get just makes up for the loss. So if I want to get ahead, like I, I queued up today trying to jump from, let's say, rank 12 to 11. And instead, I just fell to 13. I need a win to get back to 12. Then I need a win to get back up to 11, which was my goal. And am I really committing myself to another 40 minutes? 
That is actually a really good point. I didn't think about it until right now, but I have found myself. Um, so a lot of magic players that that's originally what I came from. We mm-hmm. call it tilting when a person just starts getting um, irritated or angry, and then they tend to make uh, worse plays because they're not in the right clear mind state. They are starting to get irritated. And so they tend to make more misplays, which causes them to more get more irritated. And it's just that kind of that, that snowball effect. So we call it tilting. And I have found, myself definitely um I, I don't tilt during games but it's during the queue times when you're just watching the thing spin and spin and spin has been very very irritating at times and then i don't or then i get into a game when i finally queue up and i'm in a bad state of mind and then it's just kind of downhill from there <laughs> i'm glad you said that because i do tilt as well on occasion um Although Sibaiku will tell you, I tilt all the time. Like, I'm just always tilted. I'm just a tilted person. You tilt on many occasions. But typically, you're fine on your turn. It's just you get upset when your opponent plays cards also. Right. Like, why are they playing? Where did they get that card from? Um, well, like, like I'll give you a, a perfect example of, of the kind of thing that tilts me. Right. And and and, and then this is going to bring us right into a quote from Zillay. Right. Because I'm... Um, say what you like about him as a person or whatever. Uh, I, I, you know, I know that there's been a lot of controversy with Zelay over the last year or maybe year and a half. I, I lost touch with a lot of Hearthstone stuff, but I used to watch him uh, uh, very regularly as a streamer and I really respected his ability to play Hearthstone. Um, so I was playing a game in draft and I locked my opponent's uh, um, base, right? With two one health units and then to Cordia, yes, she was nerfed, but I still took her anyway because Shadowfen's that good in draft. And I'm just like, okay, I've won the game because my opponent cannot attack anything on his own baseline. He can't clear any of the units or the two eggs. My opponent plays Rogue Sheep and gets, of all things from my hand, my Butchers. So what are the odds that my opponent has Rogue Sheep? Okay, very low. You shouldn't take Rogue Sheep in, in in draft. And then what are the odds? It's one in four that he gets the one card that can help remove the two one health off my baseline. And I got really irritated. Like I almost threw my phone because I'm just like, man, you're just gonna high roll the crap out of it. But then I realized he he couldn't he didn't have any more mana. So yeah, he removed the two one health, but the two eggs hatched and then went into face. And that meant I had butchers in hand. I had lethal. <laughs> so the, this brings you into this this, this quote from Zelay. He, he he said, and I'm paraphrasing because it's it was a couple of years ago. In a game with chance in it, like Stormbound, something's going to go wrong for you. Something you are going to low roll. You are going to have the bad luck at some point. And what you don't realize is because you're always focused on what happens to you. The same is true of your opponent. You're going to have a dead draw when you really need XYZ card, and, and odds are you should have it by now, but you don't. Your opponent runs into something similar. It's not about who has the worst luck. It's about who deals with the luck better. So so yes, my opponent high-rolled the heck out of that turn, but I still won the game. Like There's no reason to get upset over that. I won. It's okay. It's you know just just stay calm. Let him play the 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 incredible high roll that he got, and then win the game. Um, but but I think there's there's a lot of RNG games can really push you into these sort of like holy smokes that was such a low probability event that just happened to me. I feel terrible. Yep, and those ones also outpace the super high rolls that you get too because you kind of brush them off and it was just a, okay, that was a win, time to get into the next one. Uh, it's Right, you don't sit and reflect. Right, when my sparkly kitties took uh, a 50-50 that gave the game to my opponent, I got annoyed. When it sealed the game for me, it's like, it was oh, just yeah, another was turn. Just, yeah, it was just, I made I made a good play and yeah, I had to, rely on luck there but it was my only my only way out Mm -hmm. yep and that's just the way it was but since you're not like happy about it like you don't like nobody is sitting there and thinking about that rng turn and it was like oh my gosh that was that was awesome i am going to brag about that except for those few times where ubis uh just hits your opponent for 15 damage um with the other 10 units on the board uh you, you do have to brag about that one. <laughs> but other than that, it's just, uh, yeah, I got lucky. Right, exactly. You, 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 
I mean, there was a lot of skill that led up to even having the opportunity to get lucky in that turn. Well, uh, that's what I like to say, right? You have to put yourself in a position where getting lucky actually matters and has an impact on the game. And 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 I want to I want to expound on that, uh, Sibaku, because uh, I don't know if you remember, but like a year, maybe year and a half ago, I tried playing a Stormbound deck with no RNG in it. And I kept running into problems where my opponents were playing RNG cards like Tiger or Ubis or whatever, and were getting lucky and beating me. And I'm like, this sucks because I'm trying to win with just skill. And you corrected me and said, no, you are trying to win it without any possibility of a high roll. And your opponents are also playing with skill, but they're choosing to play with cards that give them the opportunity for a high roll. So unless your opponents continually low roll, you will be behind the eight ball. And that's a really important thing to remember. Like the, the RNG is not bad. It's what makes the f- game fun and frustrating at times. Sure. Yeah, definitely both. <laughs> there is something else I think to keep in uh, consideration with this game. Um, so us in this podcast and honestly, probably most of the listeners to this podcast have their collections at least nearly maxed out, if not essentially maxed out. Back when you were in bronze, silver, gold, uh, it felt like you were losing every game you played. Every single game that you're queuing up, it's like, how am I going to get slaughtered this game? Yep. Yep. The games that (laughs) you did win, you felt like you scraped by because you were facing Mm -hmm. opponents that had higher levels or whatever. And um, yeah, exactly. The thing is that you had exactly a 50% win rate. Otherwise you would not have been at the star rating that you were at. You would have dropped down and you would eventually start winning because you would be higher leveled, higher skilled, whatever than your opponents that you're playing. So whatever star ranking you had when you were in any of those middle leagues, you had exactly a 50% win rate that's where you leveled out at and it doesn't feel like that because i think honestly it's because the games are the people that play this game are extremely competitive and 50 percent is a terrible percentage (laughs) (laughs) possibly uh there's definitely a bias where you do tend to remember your losses more than you remember your successes and Mm -hmm. yes that that's a big part of it too the losses especially when you feel like it was unearned you feel like it was a bad beat they stick out to you and uh, they stick in your craw much more so than like you said before just ho-hum another win got my coins time to queue up the next match right yeah like like in draft mode for example um i will i will go out on on i will die on this hill marked as prey is not a great card in draft it isn't a lot of people seem to think it is but it's not that good of a card in draft it really isn't but anytime i open with helio troopers and my opponent drops a level five marked as prey against me i'm saying okay congrats you just won this game because you've made bad decisions for the last five (laughs) rounds of draft and you won this was the game this is why you did it you did it for this exact moment you've had it enjoy it (laughs) i'm i'm queuing into freeloader i i gotta i'm gonna have later tonight i gotta get my mark just pray up there (laughs) get it to level five Like it's just like this is a bad card. Why did you use all of your upgrades on it? Um, but like, yeah, like it happens. And then you know, you you queue into. And the funny thing about it, we've touched on this a couple of times. I, I remember having this conversation with Sebaiku. I think in the first couple of episodes, this game is so difficult to gauge your level of success because there's so many unknowns, right? So. Yeah, I, I do talk about that all the time. Yeah, like if I draft a, a, a Shadowfen deck that has marked as prey and I queue into four Shadowfen opponents in my run that all have Helio Troopers, I feel fantastic. Like that marked as prey was fantastic that run. I do it again next week and I go, you know, two and uh, two and three. And I don't understand what the difference was that was, you know, what was it, you know, and, and I don't even, it doesn't even necessarily cue into my, my consciousness that it was because I didn't run into shadow fan opponents that, that chose Helio troopers. And without that easy target, Marked as Prey is really, really bad. Um, 
And so there, there's just a lot of stuff like that in this game. Um, I'm glad we got into this conversation. This was not like, again, none of this is planned. Um, my hope was that we were going to get to talk about Gray and about some of the new cards coming out and just kind of where we are with the game. But but I think this is kind of an important conversation to have. So so let's wrap it up real quick. Uh, I'll let uh, Sabaiku, uh, uh start with his final thoughts on just sort of how do you combat all of this? Uh, 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 not necessarily just tilting, but ladder anxiety. Like, are you doing anything? You you said yourself that you didn't really play a lot last week of the of, of last season. Are you thinking that that's going to be the same this month, or do you have some different plans on how to kind of overcome that? Well, last month I unfortunately just got stuck with a lot of real life stuff. Um, you know, work was crazy, and I just didn't have the time to or the energy to do that, and also focus on Stormbound. Uh, me, I take my matches pretty seriously. Every match I do actually give my attention to. I don't tend to play while I have a TV on in the background or whatever. Uh, so that that can definitely amplify the anxiety part of it. Um, it, it for me, it didn't really end until I achieved the goal of finishing in the top 10 the first time. And then I was just like, I've spent all the last week playing the bare minimum number of games that I needed to just stay in the top 10. And it sucked. Like I wanted to play games, but I wouldn't let myself just because I was worried about losing. Uh, and I didn't want to go through that again. Like now that I've, now that I've had another successful season, I can say it, it's more fun to just play the game like that. And that's more fun to me than trying to finish at a high rank. It just, enjoy the game play a competitive deck try to climb sure but uh definitely don't um but definitely don't let a fear of losing rank stop you from playing all right and and thomas are you i know you're going on vacation again so are you ever going to play stormbound <laughs> well i'm still um trying to whenever i can the way that i've been approaching it um honestly ever since draft came out and probably will be the same thing for the foreseeable future is um monday through wednesday is 100 percent dedicated to draft yeah and then thursday and friday is um playing brawl and if i have the time to also to get to um, milestone 10 in ultimate is also dedicated on Saturday and potentially Sunday, depending on how much extra time I have otherwise, because honestly, brawl just takes way too many games to be able to get to milestone 10, especially with how many fusion stones are required to get a lot of these um, cards to level five. I've been needing to play ultimate milestone 10, a ridiculous amount over the last month or two. Um, wow. Okay. But yeah, so, so that's like, Monday through Wednesday draft, like I said, and then Thursday and Friday is Ben um, Brawl. And then generally that means that Saturday and Sunday are left for ranked. And even those two days are negotiable depending on if I can make it to level 10 in um, the Brawl. And All right. Yeah. I, it's, I, it's I, like, I, I like doing this as a theoretical a lot. Like I, I have often asked myself, like, what is this game without Bragda? Like if some if some intern at Sheepyard accidentally deletes Bragda, what what does the game feel like? Um, I will ask you this question then, Thomas. What does this game look like if if Brawl just got deleted? If Brawl got deleted, oof. Yeah. Um, well, number one, I would be uh, just kind of having just rant after rant after rant on the discord as well as probably in, in this uh, podcast too because the fusion stones as annoying as the 50 wins are to get to uh, mm -hmm. at the bare minimum to, for all the fusion stones if, if there's no good uh, income for fusion stones there's no new way to level up cards and that would be a huge hit on my long-term enjoyment on the game mm. okay Sabaiku, what happens if I delete draft? Uh, it gets boring. We've been through that. Brawl <laughs> isn't for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. like, Brawl requires resources to play. It's a nice way to turn your coins into other resources like fusion zones and rubies and cards. But 
if you don't have the coins in the first place, then you don't really get a lot of enjoyment out of it. On top of that, although there are three levels, not everybody can participate all around in the brawl. Um, you know, personally, I usually do the the warrior brawl and the ultimate brawl up to we, up like 70 crowns or so. for a split second? Freeloader asked me about brawl. He asked you about draft. Yes. I'm getting there. Okay, okay, okay. I'm working on it. <laughs> I want to make sure. I'm thinking the long way. Right? No, I'm saying like, so you have, you have the brawl, but the brawl isn't for everybody because it costs resources to use and you might not have the levels to take full enjoyment to make full enjoyment out of it. If you don't have the levels to play the ultimate brawl, then you're not getting any more fun and any more resources out of the brawl mode. So now you're just stuck playing ladder with longer queue times while other people are playing the brawl. Like having the draft on the opposite side of that really helps to offset that grind and make the game feel fresh and make the game feel fun. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the other thing that is honestly like, so he never asked me about draft, so I, I, I tried to stick not. to the answer to uh, to brawl. But are you on suggesting top of the... cheated? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I didn't cheat. I just won. I'm, I'm going to try and keep my my comment super, super short for uh, uh, for draft since uh, he never asked me about it. Um, as much as the many other reasons I absolutely love draft, I also be, love being able to play against anyone. And so honestly, 90% of my games are pr- against people that are in bronze, silver, and gold. And so it, it's awesome being able to have this massive pool of players to play against. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of really good people that are uh, playing that are still in uh, silver and gold. Yeah, yeah you know, good. that's a really anyway. good point. In Brawl, when you queue up against somebody at a higher rank than you, like you just know that their cards are leveled more than you and you're just guaranteed to lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Draft, when you queue up against somebody at a higher rank, it doesn't matter. It matters not at all. In exactly. fact, it feels, it feels really good, I suspect, yeah. to be in draft as a gold player and, and be the Heroes League player. That's part of the reason why I stay in Diamond all month. <laughs> Less embarrassing <laughs> when I lose. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, I agree. There's two things that I love about draft. One is, uh, in terms of being able to uh, open up the game to new players, I think Sheepyard has done nothing nothing as important as draft draft the day you first install this game you can play a game of draft and you are on the same footing unless you know they have significant skill and understanding of how the cards work and you don't but let's just say you've read through it and you understand all of it you are on the same footing as everyone else and i love that i love that Uh, it's a wonderful equalizer the other thing that i love at the start of this year, I had 52 golden level four cards in my library. Um, last year, I was usually upgrading a card a month using a thousand of the uh, Heroes League reward, end of season rewards, right? That's where I got the thousand from. And that was it. So starting in January, I had 52. I currently have zero golden bordered cards in my library, period. Period. Every single one of them has been upgraded. Every single new golden that has appeared has been upgraded. Um, The economy has been one of the biggest concerns I've had about this game because as I've tried to introduce new players to it, it's been the one thing they get hung up on. I don't want to say it's completely fixed, but it sure feels like it's completely fixed to me. And and I love that Brawl has, uh, that Brawl, pardon me, I love that Draft has done that. Why don't we take this conversation now from where we're at, which is, I think, a pretty good place, uh, and start talking about some of the new cards that are coming out. So, so one of the things that Sheepyard has been, I don't want to say accused, accused is a hard word, but, but, but has been labeled as, as not being able to introduce cards that are impactful to the meta, right? And then, and then Kitties got, <laughs> got dropped, and everyone was like, okay, well, yeah, Kitties is good. Um, we've got a whole bunch of new stuff coming in. Zero, gray. We've got a bunch of new epics coming in this month. I don't know, guys. W- w- with the new cards that Sheepyard's introducing as of late, do we feel like the pace is good? Do we feel like the number of them that are relevant is appropriate? Do we feel like we can keep up? Uh, I don't know. I will open with Thomas. Awesome. 
I was going to ask if I could start. <laughs> yes. Um, so, first thing I have to say is that the cards that Sheepyard had been release, releasing that had been meta-relevant, I had been tracking it over time, and I want to say it was like 51% were relevant or 52%. It was just like right at the 50% mark. And that was exactly in line with everything that had been um, before Sheepyard took over. Like it, it was almost exactly 50% of the cards that had been released to really? the game since I had started playing in uh, mid-2018 had been relevant to the meta. And so I, I just wanted to go out on the record and say the amount that Sheepyard releases is uh, meta-relevant at basically the exact same rate. And so I just wanted to point that out because, yeah, that, that is relevant information. I mean, so like the amount of fusion stones that you save, you only need to actually save um, for the 50%. You don't have to save for everything. And yeah, obviously you want to save for more than 0%. So yes, it has been about 50% over the course of time. Hmm, that's really curious. Do you think that's like a, a data point that Paladin might have shared with Sheepyard? Like this has been our policy or our philosophy and Sheepyard just adopted or do you think it's dumb luck? I honestly think it's about dumb luck. I, I think you flip a coin and uh, you hit 50%. And so that's going to be the same for your cards. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't think they're setting out to make bad cards. I don't think they're saying, oh man, let's just, let's make half of these real stinkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. Sometimes you misjudge power levels. Sometimes you misjudge what abilities are going to be relevant and what are not. Okay, that's fair. So, Sibaiku, there there has been a lot of nerfs. Um, lately, Shadowfin has been getting kind of beat up. Cordia <laughs> just got nerfed. And there's talk, Brajoza specifically in Discord, has said that Rain is kind of on the block is is rain just getting in the way of design space like can you is rain just like like brag that kind of shows you how it abuses stuff well so the the problem is i don't know if it's getting in the way of design space because i don't know what their plans are and i don't have any great ideas for how to synergize with it i think it's i think it's more getting in the way of design space in the sense that Rain and Bragda is such a powerful combination of cards that it crowds out any new ideas because you immediately look at that and say, sure, that's pretty good, but I'd rather just fill the board with 10 strength units. <laughs> well, yeah, but even things like Gray. Gray comes out and everyone's like, oh my gosh, what happens if you play uh, you know, two cards going first and then your opponent plays Gray and then what do you do? And everyone's like, oh, gosh, you're really up a creek. And then somebody says, well, you could just play a two drop in rain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like like rain gets in the way of everything. Even the new cards that that, that Sheepyard's dropping right now. You're like, wow, look at that rain. And, and not sure. for nothing. There's a new neutral epic, right? Uh, uh, the sisters. Big sisters of growth, which do rely on having a board full of weaker units. And there's one really easy way to build a board full of weaker units. And everybody immediately was like, oh, yeah, just just make some toads and you'll be fine. Right. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. Like, your only other option is to play Doppelbox, cycle another card and hope to re <laughs> drop back into Doppelbox. Like, it, it, it rain is just so good again you know and it and, and it does kind of impact a lot of these cards in a way that no other faction can right yeah it's just it's unfortunate that no other faction is as good at filling the board as shadowfin is and it's really all because of this one card you yep. know azure hatcher does a little bit of that too but azure hatcher costs more mana it takes more time to develop because it's on an on death effect um azure hatcher rewards smarter play generally but okay you just you cannot get over the fact that rain costs two mana less and that makes it just so much better in every way but even azure hatcher is also shadowfen like like it sounds like shadowfen is the only uh faction and and it's weird because we've got Dopp doppelbox we've got dread fonts we've got like all these cards in swarm and you think of swarm as being like well, well, like swarmy. a swarm. <laughs> right. Uh, and yet Shadowfen is the one that like clogs the board more. Th Thomas, you keep track of this. Uh, which faction has the most number of uh, uh, number one finishes in the Heroes League since the start of the Heroes League? Uh, crap. I didn't. 
I've been so busy. I never even put down this last month, but um, I unfortunately but, do want to say, I think it's ironclad has the one up now. Nope. 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 The nope. amazing Azo took it with a Shadowfen. Oh, Shadow Shadow so yes, mm-hmm. Shadowfen, Shadowfen is in, in top place for uh, the last year now. Yep. Uh, and it is neck and neck with ironclad, which is notable. Um, because well, to be fair, a lot of those ironclad wins were earlier on before nerfs to uh, destructive bots and so, scrapped and linked. Yes. Well, so as much as you guys have been talking about um, uh, rain, the best comparison for rain that it unfortunately has missed the chopping block for way too long because it had been nerfed once, and so people were like, "Okay, it's already been nerfed. It's." too weak or it, it's fine now but it's still too strong but unstable build a two mana card that is extremely sticky and keeps your front line for way longer than it should yeah, yeah. i agree with that got nerfed still good still mm-hmm. good yep oh um well i mean so... look reign of frogs got nerfed and it's still good right it's no longer one mana at level five because that was it. it it was just absolutely busted if it hadn't been nerfed before heroes league it would have absolutely that month been number one and every month until it got nerfed <laughs> so my uh, uh my uncle uh turned 18 a month after the uh legal drinking age in connecticut was bumped to 21 and i kind of feel that way about a lot of things in in Stormbound because Sabaiku and I got our reign to level five like two months after the nerf. We have no idea what it felt like to have that much power for one mana. What was it like? Did you play it at all, Thomas? Like, um, you guys are gonna hate me, but I've never really liked Shadowfen, so I didn't play it that much. <laughs> <laughs> you were literally sitting on like the most powerful thing ever in the game, and you're like, meh. Because Queen and Bucks. Queen was a and thing. Bucks back then. Oh my God. Queen could pull Bucks. And, yep. Yep. And then Six Mana, six mana Herald Tim to top it off. Oh, that was so gross. I wasn't even playing that at the time. I was playing One Movement Booming Professors. That was the deck. Oh jeez, I remember that. That was remember we actually had an episode called OK Boomers discussing literally why hasn't this been nerfed if Chestnuts got nerfed. All right, so I promised uh people in the uh official Stormbound Discord that we were going to talk about gray and about the new cards. Um and we have I think given everyone a a, a decent sort of background on, on where we think the game is overall before we get into the new cards i i'm gonna say i actually think i i think the game keeps getting better i really do i think the game has not been in as good of a spot since we started playing uh as it is right now um i'll open that up to sabaiku to see what he thinks yeah i mean look that does not mean that there's no more room for improvement there oh, certainly not. is right it's still it's still quite the grind to get new cards leveled up uh, the new cards coming out. I know Thomas, this is a particular gripe of yours. The new com- cards coming out are just, especially all very high rarity, which makes it very difficult. Um, and, and there's not really a need for that. But our way of getting resources has n- never been better. You know, we have the draft mode, we got better quests than we used to, um, we got more coins coming in per win than we used to especially at the higher levels so if you play well you can develop your collection much faster and that's something that was definitely lacking before and painfully uh, you know i i just hope that they keep on going in that direction give people more chances for more resources and uh you know let us actually enjoy and play with the new cards that are coming into the game thomas so Overall, um, happy with things, except for, yeah, the, the new cards coming in, as uh, Sabaiku had uh, foreshadowed. The fact that there are so many high-rarity cards is honestly pretty concerning to me. They've now released more epics since um, starting since taking over in July of 2020 to today than they have uh, common cards. And 
that I, I, I see a pretty big concern. This year alone, the cards that they've released into the game has uh, been a grand total of 4,300 fusion stones to level every single one of those up to level 5, just Ooh. for the epics and the legendaries that have been released in. That's about an entire year's worth of saving up for fusion stones and all taken care of in one fell swoop of, of four or five months. So honestly, if, if things were to continue like this for the next uh, two years, that would be um, beyond red flag for me. So I'm, I'm really hoping things uh, calm down and we get a lot more or way more focused on the commons and the the rares being added to the game as you would kind of normally expect where a common is a common or just from purely that um, conversational aspect (laughs) where, oh, it's a common card. And so we're much more likely to see a lot more commons being added to the game. um, Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a problem when there are more rare cards in the game than common cards. What if what if they got rid of the whole concept of a common card? What if they just said all common cards are now rares and we're compensating you for for that kind of a thing? Like, you know, honestly, that would make sense to me, even just from like a percentage of amount of cards in the game. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And so then your lowest rarity is the majority of the, the cards mm-hmm. and you only have three tiers instead of four. Yeah, I, honestly, I'd be fine with that. Um, so the two main reasons I am getting concerned about this and I re- really want to talk about it. The first one is obviously uh, just a massive amount of uh, fusion stones to be able to get these cards for the ranked modes. But then secondarily for the uh, draft mode, when you have only one or two options for legendaries and two options for epics, and then uh, is that f- uh, four options for rares and four options for commons, like that that doesn't it's not a linear between the two of them and so the it just needs to get balanced out and we need to get more commons into the game based on that and with the seven epics that have been released into the game this year the amount of fusion stones that have taken you could have had uh, what was it like 21 commons introduced at the same Ooh. time for the or for the same fusion stones equivalent cost I would personally like to see that many more grand total of cards, that much more design space than a few concentrated ones. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so I'm glad you said that. Cause I want to jump into the idea of design space. One of the things that I have felt about the game is that the first couple of turns are fairly scripted, uh, ignoring draw RNG, right? I'm going to open on three with green prototypes into uh, my gifted recruits. You're going to respond with, um, I don't know, kitties into dubious hags, right? Like I love cards that make you think about those opening turns. So I, I played a, uh, a deck called uh, Clown Fiesta because it was a clown fiesta. Uh, thank you, Savitz, for, for that phrase. Um, and in it, I actually had level five Faithless Prophets. And I've opened with Faithless Prophets now, I don't know, a, a handful of times because of just, you know, I didn't I didn't get a better opener. <laughs> so one of the things that I've found is if my opponent has overchargers, they for some reason think the best play is to play overchargers in front of the Faithless Prophets. And that's a terrible play. Um you know, a lot of times I respond by witchesing my own Faithless Prophets back to my side. Now I've got two giant units, or I play another unit and rain, and then at the start of their turn, the Faithless Prophets turn back to me, and the board's clogged. Like, you know, it, it's just, it doesn't work out the way they think it does. But the, the interesting thing about it is by interrupting that script of the opener, the Faithless Prophets play has caused some really weird not card interactions, but but interactions between me and my opponent. My opponent doesn't know how to handle this situation. And so everybody involved is thinking, I'm trying to guess what they're going to do. They're trying to figure out what the heck to do with that. And, and in that, I've found some of the most enjoyable matches when I start playing cards that make my opponent have to rethink what was an automatic turn. In that, in that light, I love the concept of Gray the Balancer. I don't know if it'll work, 
but at least the idea of going second and playing it is just, what do you do? Uh, Sabaiku, you've been playing some gray at level four because you got him up to level four relatively quickly. What have you found so far playing with gray? It's definitely a very powerful effect. It's definitely thinking about the game in a different way than before. And uh, honestly, even after a few days, it still continues to trip me up where it's like, oh, I thought I had the right number of units, but I did not. Wasn't paying attention. Oh, I accidentally softened up this unit. So now it's the weakest one on the board where in my mind it was, you know, the previous turn a different unit was weaker. So I just kind of kept thinking, oh, it'll destroy that one. And now it no longer does. Uh, So weird interactions like that, that just get me thinking about the game a little bit differently and trying to decide when to use it, um, how long to hold on to it, trying to think about its function compared to everything else in my deck. Uh, it's it's a really great card. You can choose to just play it out on an open board and let your opponent kind of try to play around it or deal with it the best they can. If you have more units on the board, you can tuck it behind one of your units so it doesn't move when you play it, and then it doesn't trigger when you play it. And then if they clear your units, it'll then trigger uh, at the beginning of your turn. Uh, So there's, there's a lot of fun things you can do with it. Um, But with all of that fun, it's still uh, a very niche use. Uh, It's not a, definitely not a card you just play in any situation. Like like trekking is a good removal card that you can just put on the board whenever you need to get it out of your hand. Gray is not that. Definitely a card that you can't use flexibly, but when you do want to use it, man, is it fantastic. And every so often you get a case where it's like, oh, my opponent has uh, played debug loggers to buff up the one unit left on their board. Now he's got you know, like a nine strength and eight strength unit on the board. And I'm going to play gray and just totally wipe out an eight strength. And that's a lot of fun. So one thing that I've been thinking of, I, my, my gray is only level three. Thank you, Draft Mode, for getting me all those copies because I did not pay for or craft a single version of it. Um, one of the cards that I've really wanted to try playing with it actually is st- Stone Masons because um, I feel like Masons with it, like Masons is weak, right? It's only two health. And so there are moments where you play it and your opponent's like, oh, I don't want to kill that because it'll buff too many things. So they leave it as the weakest unit on the board and clear around it. And then with gray, that's kind of interesting. I don't know. That seems like a very specific situation that would be very <laughs> difficult to engineer. It's true, but 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 Masons has been one of those cards like Faithless Prophets that have forced my opponent to think about how they want to play their turns, right? Like they see it there. It's, you know, kitty corner protecting something in their corner. Do they want to clear the stonemasons? Because if they do, then the other unit gets really big and then they have to take more face damage. Is it better to just take the five from the gifted recruits and let the masons get to the baseline and then try to clear it next turn? Like it's, it's not a straightforward card to play against, which is part of the reason why it's in my like pantheon of, of great cards. I don't know, Thomas, what do you think? Where, where is gray right now? Do, do, do we think gray definitely is a meta card or is it still up in the air? It's definitely a meta card. Um, I have to first say before I get into that, that I both love it and I hate it. Um, the reason <laughs> I, uh, we're going to talk about why I hate it first. Um, 100% to Sabaiku's point, you really have to understand the board state and uh, reanalyze every single turn before you play it. Because what you were thinking on your turn and you pass it to your opponents, when you go to get ready for work or make your dinner, um, when you come back to your turn and look at the board state again, you have to reanalyze the entire thing because, yeah, exactly what he was saying, things change over the course of your opponent's turn. And I uh, tend to play a lot of games when I am very distracted. So you have to completely reanalyze your turn, figure out what's going to get destroyed, if anything, and then continue playing it. Um, 
I see it as a very balanced card. It is a meta card, and it, it is very strong in the correct decks, but it's garbage in other decks, which is great balancing for it. Um, better than something like Bragda, where in certain decks, uh, Bragda is so unbelievably OP that you kind of just want to play only that deck. Gray works amazing in just control decks in general, but not as completely uh, OP as something like uh, Bragda is in its own um, deck style. So Gray is is awesome. Uh, you'll you'll generally get two for ones for it unless you're already so far ahead that when you play Gray, uh, it destroys itself. At that point, you're pretty happy with where the game is going, <laughs> and that's the reason why it's it's an awesome card. <laughs> All right, you know, no one is talking about Ciro. So, Mikey, what happened to Ciro? Well, Ciro is seven mana, and that's three more than gray, which automatically makes it harder to use because <laughs> it's just a lot less flexible. Uh, you need to really have the right board state for it. I know that people are experimenting with it, uh, but I suspect the uh outcome will be that it will not be a meta card uh whereas at least gray i will expect to run into it on the ladder with regularity um you know zero is is a really neat idea i'm not sure what kind of deck to fit him in honestly like i've been kind of thinking it over but not too much because i don't want to spend all my fusion stones on him um but it's it, it's a, in the same way that gray requires you to pay attention to the board state and be continuously reanalyzing. Zero requires you to remember the board state as it was. And that's mm. also really tough. Like you can, you can very easily make a mistake about, Oh, which tile was that unit in at the start of the previous, at the start of this turn again. And uh, if you, if you have that down to a 50, 50 and you guess wrong, you might just lose a game because of it. Well, temple of time is like that too. Right. And yet temple of time isn't seeing a ton of Oh, temple of time is nowhere near as complicated as zero. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, you got to think about all the different uh, meta cards that are currently played, and if if something get con- gets confusion, you really truly have to be paying attention, or you're playing something like Lost Psyches, like you re- you really truly do have to remember exactly where they ended at, not even like where they started the turn. Like you could glance like when your opponent's turn is ending, but yeah, Lost Psyches bounces to another spot, and so you have to remember where that last spot was if it ends up dying. Good point, good point, good point. Okay. Right, because it's happened a few times. <laughs> because Zero requires you to actively play it. And Temple of Time, it's just it's gonna do what it's gonna do at the start of your turn. You don't really like you have to pay attention when you're setting it up the previous turn. Well, when you, you hit end turn. When yeah. where, when you hit end turn, whatever you remember when you start your turn, that's exactly all you have to remember. Exactly. It's going to do it automatically. It doesn't require you to sit there and say, okay, at the start of my turn, what happened? No, it just, it does whatever it, it can do based on your setup. Huh. Yeah. And in, in my opinion, they really need to create some kind of visual for zero when you're hovering over something. I, I know that would be a lot of coding, but honestly, when board states get really complex and there's a lot of trades that happen at the beginning of a turn and, maybe you didn't even have zero in your hand at the beginning of your turn. So you weren't even trying to memorize the board state and then you cycle into it and you're like, Oh crap. What was going on left-hand side? What was going on the right-hand side, front side, backside, where am I going to get the best value for what I want to do this turn? It it does get really complex, really fast. If you want to be able to make a great decision. I think the answer here is screenshot. Every time your turn (laughs) flashes up on the screen, (laughs) That you, is an option, yeah. No, it, it that honestly, even that wouldn't be an option because since your units only move one at a time, you've got something that may be confused, moves left or moves right, and then you've got your lost psyches that bounces to an entirely different spot on the board because you have to remember where that spot that lost psyches teleported to and died, not where it started right. the turn. And which spots were were occupied by a unit, but now is occupied by an enemy, you know. Exactly. Speaking of confusion, I'm confused. <laughs> it, the, there is seriously a lot going on with this card. 
Um, but besides that uh, superficial thing of where things were at, uh, I, I've thrown it into um, a couple of swarm decks now. I, f I thought it would have the best home there. I've thrown it into like one or two winter decks and I think one or two shadow fen decks. And unfortunately, I think Heroes League is just currently too fast for it right now that I just always end up cycling it away. Even like on the seven mana turn, I can play three um, other cards. And so that's usually the... Uh, the the choice to reset my opponent's front line and so i have not found um, any decent home for it yet yeah i mean look the best use case for it is a scenario where you have units on your opponent's baseline that walk into their base at the start of the turn and then you know exactly where the units were you can position zero accordingly you can bring them back but if that's the case, you were winning that game anyway. It doesn't matter what you play on seven mana. As long as you continue to play on your opponent's baseline, you're probably going to be fine. That is correct. Yeah. Zero works the absolute best with uh, Blessed with Brawn. <laughs> oh my god. Fun yes, deck. <laughs> but yeah, this is Mike's point. It does. Zero does, in, in my mind, feel kind of like a win more card, right? Like if my opponent is winning trades then zero can't resurrect anything because the cells where my where my units used to be are now taken uh so it has to be like situations where i had units that survive trades and are still there and then die at the start of my turn yeah it's actually i'm already winning that game it's a lot of ways uh opposite of gray right gray is good when you're behind okay. you play it yep. it balances the board out for you and it's useless when you're ahead because it's just going to kill your own units. Like your best case scenario there is you try to get it to kill off your own green prototype somewhere irrelevant on the board. No, my own stonemasons because I want the buff. Zero is the opposite way. It's only good when you were ahead on the board mm. and it's mm -hmm, useless mm -hmm. when you're behind on the board unless you really just need that 15 strength to take out something that your opponent's got that's kind of chunky. And there's cheaper ways to do that. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go from there to one last question, because because this this episode is actually I didn't even think this episode would be this long, um, but we actually have a lot to talk about in the game. Um, <laughs> one Cordia hour got, in, you say that, <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, Cordia got nerfed. I played Cordia twice in draft this week, and let me tell you, Cordia's fine in draft. Yep, she's still overpowered. He's still good, uh, real good. I went I went six one with her twice um so with that in mind i haven't played her in constructed this season and she may be toned down but but we we mentioned this on our last episode Subaiku. the fact that she takes up four cells in a 20 cell board one fifth of the board is taken up when you play her that has intrinsic value like she's not bad still right yeah, I have not played her in ranked mode since the balance changes, um, so I cannot speak from experience on this end, but at least playing against it, yeah, it's still a pain in the butt to deal with. Those eggs still take up the board, and you got to find creative ways to get rid of them, uh, but at least if an egg or two hatches and gets through, it's it's just a little bit easier to deal with now. And I think that's the main thing. Um, I have not particularly struggled playing against Cordia yet this month, but the month is still early and I'm not playing anywhere near top of the Heroes League right now. So it, it could definitely get worse as I start to see decks that are a little better. All right. Well, let's think about it this way. At worst... Cordia's body itself is equivalent to what? Four mana? Four and a half mana? So you could play Cordia thinking she's a four and a half mana card with a one and a half mana. I don't want to die this coming turn at her. So for six mana, you get a four and a half mana card and your opponent can't put runners into your base, right? Like that's the worst case scenario of what Cordia is. And I think most people would rather pay one and a half mana than end the game if they're losing. Like, it's just, I don't know, she's still decent. Oh, the way I like to think a lot of cards is um, 
And let's pretend that she, at, at base, you could play her for four mana and you get the nine strength body. How often you're doing that versus, uh, well, it, I'm only two turns away from six mana. And if I can kick for the extra two mana, I get these three eggs that can hatch and give me an extra 18 strength. I'm going to wait my two turns out and I'm just going to play my other cards in my hand to kick for this card for an extra two mana because that that value is insane every time it's good value exactly it is and and that's where i'm saying that for four mana you get a nine strength card and that's already a great return we don't even have a card in the game like that and four yet mana, you nine s- one nine one it has movement don't forget that's what i'm saying like that that's great i i would play a vanilla four mana nine strength card in a lot of decks buff. exactly <laughs> What I'm saying there is that, yeah, that's already an insane return. I would play that in most decks. And then we add on this little kicker that just makes the card still bonkers. And people would still be holding on to that card for that extra kicker because it's that that strong. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, all right. So we're, we're about a, an hour and five minutes into this. I want to wrap this up. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm really thankful we got to do it. Thomas, I know you're going away on vacation again. Um, and it's just been, gosh, it's been over a month since the three of us got to sit down together and talk about the game. Uh, and I, I just have to say that this has been wonderfully refreshing and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I will start with Sibaiku. Wh- where where are you at? Do, do you feel like there's anything that really needs to be changed with the game right now? Like like Sheepyard needs to focus on this for the in the next quarter of 2022 or do you feel like things are going well just keep on doing what you're doing and uh, yeah maybe that rain nerf needs to happen well in terms of balance changes i don't think there's anything that needs to happen um okay i I think everything is is pretty well balanced now and even though the combos that we're talking about as super strong like rain and bragda are not necessarily they're they're distorting the the kind of decks that you play in Shadowfen because it's an optimum strategy, but I don't think it necessarily is distorting the meta to an unhealthy degree. Um, what I'd like to see in the next quarter, honestly, is you know, Joe just talked about the long term roadmap that they have on Discord. He keeps teasing things like guilds and extended campaign modes like i'd I'd really like to see them deliver on that kind of thing Um, new new ways to continue to interact with the game you know the success of draft mode is definitely fantastic and i'm really happy to see it but we're getting to the point where it's been nearly half a year since draft mode was introduced and it, it would be nice to see some some fresh features okay thomas Honestly, with um, how much work I have to assume uh, draft took, I, I could and how tight-lipped uh, Sheepyard tends to be, I could see them. I mean, honestly, draft mode probably took an entire year worth of programming and coding and making sure that it worked uh, smoothly. I I wouldn't be surprised if they're working on one or two large things behind the scenes that they're not even talking about with us so i I think the general balance changes and the uh, general release of new cards is good um except for obviously my concern of the uh, the rarities so um as long as something happens i wouldn't even say this quarter um by by year's end something else large um i would still be content Uh, so so i don't play as much as either of you so it's difficult for me to catch up when gray the bouncer shows up right like i'm at level three and i'm at level three because i got super lucky with the last two weeks worth of draft mode runs i got i don't even know i think i got like five or six copies it was insane how many copies of gray i got when a crucial card like that starts to show up when it's a legendary like the packs they offer in in the shop only get me one copy plus some fusion stones it's it's difficult to feel like I can keep up on that part of it, especially in a card that I'm so excited about. Like, I just, I want to play it. You know what I mean? I, I, I love the design of the card. I want to start jamming it into all my decks. Uh, but the most I can do, even with all the fusion stones I happen to have, is get it up to level four. 
And that's probably good enough to, to, to start to experiment with. I don't know. Outside of that, I have to say that I think, gosh, draft mode is so good. Uh, oh, apparently it's my bedtime. Uh, draft mode is so good. Sheepyard really like out the shoot. It's just well done. And, and I, and I don't want to take anything away from Sheepyard because I think Sheepyard did a wonderful job developing it. Thomas is right. It's like a year's worth of work. But a lot of the, here's the rules about what you can draft and what can be served to you in each round of the draft. A lot of that work was done by Reckless because his draft bound uh, that he he wrote in a script in Discord uh, did a lot of that. And I think I think we all as a community owe a lot to him for having done that work up front and figured out what what is balanced how many legendaries should you get in a round of draft and stuff like that? He did yeoman's work. I, I, I think overall the game's just in a great spot. Um, like, like if I could give feedback to Sheepyard right now, it's just continue to experiment. Gray's a wonderful experiment. Shiro's a, or Ciro's a wonderful experiment in terms of like new functionality. Keep going, but please give us more commons. Can, can we, can some of these things be common cards? Not legendaries and epic speeds. Because, yeah, sorry, maybe I didn't make that clear. Like, when I was, like, talking about the amount of fusion stones that it would take to get to these uh, seven epics and two legendaries to level five, they could have been releasing two commons every single week since January 1st. And it would still cost the same fusion stones as these seven cards that they've released since the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's just, it's it's hard to keep up. And... Mm -hmm. You know, more than that, it's just... Well, and the, the thing that you don't want it... So, like, they have done an amazing job to increase the economy and increase the amount of rewards that people got last year. I did yes. an entire graph about that because I was mind-blown that they were giving us legitimately 50% more resources than we've ever been able to get in the past. But when you also make the cost of new cards three times more expensive than there had been in the past that gets offset <laughs> yeah but and to your point like not all the card look i don't think every card needs to be a home run in fact i think every card shouldn't be a home run it's just too much mm -hmm. it's too well, much it, it turns it, if every single card is a home run then it ends up being power creep so right. so that is sure. correct that everything continues being about 50 percent um meta because then the other ones are in each and uh you you end up playing them in very ridiculous 1c decks <laughs> but shout out to 1c man like speaking of people who need calls out this game would be so boring if 1c wasn't out there going yeah but what if we played this card with it <laughs> so like, sometimes i go cross-eyed trying to look at his decks and figuring out what is going on and then like i don't know i'm super appreciative too Right. For sure. But yeah, no, I mean, like, honestly, it would just be power creep if everything was too strong. So I do like the idea that 50% of them, or honestly, less 25% of them become like true meta cards. The other mm -hmm. ones are in good, certain good meta decks because of a particular combination. Um, but when you're making the cost on these things um, so unbelievably high, then even with the massive increase to the economy, it, it doesn't matter because the overall cost of the cards ends up being higher than the amount that you can get from the economy. All right. We're going to have to end it there, I think. We're, we're already at an, an hour and 15. Sabaku, I want to give you one last opportunity to give some thoughts, uh, and then we're going to go out. I I had this idea that I wanted to pitch tonight that I think I'm going to just punt. Um, the The idea was, what if Sheepyard randomly chose cards that are being overplayed to be kept at level three for the following month just to sort of incentivize people to play other cards like recruits gifted recruits can only be level three this month play it if you want to uh but good luck you know kind of a thing i i think i'll i'll, I'll drop that debate for tonight because it's we're, we're an hour and plus in so that ends the uh, the main portion of this episode which means it's time for me to remind you to contact us preferably in our channel on the Stormbound Discord server or on Twitter at BroodSages. You can always email us at thebroodsages at gmail.com. And that's going to do it for this episode. For Sabaiku, 
and Thomas. I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages reminding you to stay hydrated.